1 Samuel 18. And I want you to look again with me, if you would, at this very familiar text and ultimately tragic testimony about a man who had all of the gifts, all the power, all the fame, all the wealth, all the good fortune, all the good looks that any man could ever imagine or hope to enjoy. Verse 9 says, And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. Now what does it mean that Saul eyed David? And what does it mean that he did so? It says here, from that day forward. I mean, really every day? Every day he has his eyes on one young servant of his. Yes. And the reason for it is given in verse 7. It says, and the women answered one another as they played. What's that mean, they answered one another? Well, you know, it's sort of like a cheer. We got spirit, yes we do. We got spirit, how about you? And then the other ones go, we got spirit, yes we do. So they're doing that. We got thousands, yes we do. David's got thousands, yes we do. Yeah, how about you? We got, or South Saul, David's got ten thousands, how about you? Wow. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. And Saul was very wroth, angry. And the saying, the song, the chant, if you will, displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands. And to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? Well, there it is. Envy dissatisfied with the blessings and the glory that he had, and he had all of it. He focuses instead on what another man has. And thus, beloved, Saul was poisoned with the most destructive, greatest device in all of Satan's arsenal. And you know, we use the word greatest advisedly because, for one thing, it was the very first thing. It was the first tactic. For another, it was the one that de devastated Lucifer himself before it came the first tactic of Satan in the garden. And then also, it is the one device in all his arsenal, the one temptation that led to the worst result, which of course is death. To this very day, this utterly destructive enticement remains the most common universal weakness of man's heart. When Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2.11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices, you can be sure that this device was well known by the Apostle Paul. Indeed, in Romans chapter 7, when Paul is pointing to the purpose of the law and the purpose of the commandments, it was this specific temptation that he attached personally to his own heart. It is deceptive, it is subtle, it is ever-present. Before the child of God who holds the shield of faith and has the word of God and the spirit of God, it is also weakened, it is quenchable, and it's defeatable. Call it envy or resentment. Call it dissatisfaction or jealousy. Whatever you call it, when verse 9 says that Saul eyed David, it was the green eye of envy, as it's called in Othello. It was with the green eye that he did so when he eyed David. 
This morning in Sunday school, we talked with the young people about the challenges that they have today, unique, powerful challenges, having to deal with images of perfection, Instagram and and TikTok perfection, and then all the constant comparisons that they see there, both throughout social media and also television and, and movies. All of it such fertile soil for envy and discontent. Satan loves it, precisely because he's such an expert at it, and he knows just how destructive it is. You know, nothing else, if you think about it, nothing else could take this tall, good-looking, popular, powerful, wealthy, beloved king, general, and turn him into the sniveling, destructive, angry, bitter, despised man that he became. Look at Saul at chapter 20. Just turn ahead a couple pages. Look at this man, for example, in verse 32. And Jonathan answered Saul his father and said unto him, Wherefore shall he be slain? That's David. What hath he done? And Saul cast a javelin at him to smite him. He threw the spear at his own son whereby Jonathan knew it was determined of his father to slay David. Should Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and did eat no meat the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had done him shame. In verse 34, verse 35, it came to pass in the morning that Jonathan went into the field at the time appointed with David and a little lad with him, and he said unto his lad, Run, find out now the arrows which I shoot. And as a lad ran, the shot an arrow beyond him. And you know what happens here? I mean, Saul, look at that man that you just read about there who tried to kill his own son. Once the anointed of God and point your finger and say, envy did that. Look at Saul in the last chapter of this book. Look at it, chapter 31 with me. This is the final word about this man who at the beginning of this book was young and head and shoulders above all and greatly favored And yes, he had slain his thousands. He was a a soldier of repute. And then anointed by God, verse 8 says, it came to pass on the morrow when the Philistines, the heathen, the ungodly, came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen in Mount Gilboa. And they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent in the land the Philistines round about to publish it in the house, what? Of their idols. And among the people. And as they put his armor in the house of Ashtaroth, they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. Point to that man. Point to that corpse, that body, and you say, Envy did that. Envy put him there. Just envy. The sneaking suspicion that your neighbors or your friends or your family members or fellow believers are doing something or acquiring something that you don't have or that's higher than where you are. One of the main reasons for the explosion in social media, the secret sauce, if you will, is that people are compelled, they're even addicted now, to constantly going back and checking on their Instagram or their Facebook just to feel 
as if maybe they're keeping up with the Joneses, as we used to say when I was young, feel as if maybe they're still in the loop. The problem is, when going there and trying to soothe the pain of envy, they check it. They check Facebook, only to find that somebody they know, somebody they might be related to, they just posted a whole bunch of pictures of a sunset in Maui or a selfie in Paris with a, the Eiffel Tower behind them and a hike in the Amazon rainforest or some fun dinner at Disney with what used to be their very best friend. And of course it causes them to be compelled to go out and to manufacture some unrealistic awesomeness of their own, right? Some unbelievably fun, even spiritual experience like swimming next to the dolphins and let me make sure I got to get this on video so I can post it so other people can be envious. Now they knew they couldn't afford the excursion. They knew they didn't even like the occasion because the whole thing was staged. The dolphin was sick as a dog. <laughs> it was fake. But the posting doesn't show all that. Consequently, long before the Maui people see their awesomeness, some struggling mother in Georgia sees it. And she instantly feeds her own sense of envy. She's off to take pictures in the mountains two hours away. So she can show everybody that she's got this amazing life. And it's this cycle. And not surprisingly, beloved, it has led to an entirely new focus in this realm of psychology and all the pathologies that are associated with this. Most studies have concluded that three-quarters of American adults are being paralyzed, even depressed, because of this cycle of envy and then dissatisfaction. And, you know, there's nothing new. In the old days, before there was Internet, before there was social media, it was just Agnes got on the telephone. She dialed up Mildred. Did you hear? Did you hear that the Millers got a new 1957 Cadillac Eldorado? And Miller said, I know. That's because Bob got a promotion. And now they're headed to Vegas. And she's thinking, I always wanted to go to Vegas. Envy's nothing new. In fact, earlier we alluded to Paul's own admission to this attack 2,000 years ago. You remember he was talking in Romans 7 about the law and what the law reveals in people's hearts. And, you know, he could have mentioned any number of Moses' injunctions, right? He could have mentioned any of the laws, but he got very personal. He said, I had not known sin. I had not known sin but by the law, for I had not known coveting, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. Did you know that Paul had a problem, or Saul with jealousy, envy, covetousness, if you will? Well, yes, I did, because we all do. Everybody does. Not just today, not back in the 50s, not just in the time of Paul. Matter of fact, you know where you have to go? You have to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and you will see that Satan attacked with this singular notion that God, Eve, God has something you don't have. And you need to want this. And of course, as we've noted earlier, it was Lucifer's own envy. It was his envy in heaven that led to his fall. I wonder what it's like to be as God. 
Father, Son, Spirit. There might be room for one more, Lucifer, an archangel. So you see, envy, beloved, is a deceitful, diabolical, debilitating, and destructive force in carnal man. And you know what else? It is a guaranteed path to unhappiness and misery. But not for everyone. Because not everybody falls for the devil's lies. And that's because they embrace the truth. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth is what makes you free. You can be free from this. And what is the truth? What is the truth that destroys the cancer of envy? What's the remedy, the antidote, if you will? You see, folks, what Satan did to Eve, as we noted, was plant this idea in her head that regardless of what she had, and look at what she had. Think about that. Saul had a lot. Eve had everything. But in spite of what she had, God had more, something that he kept to himself. And she deserved it. Satan always exploits the notion that what we have is not enough. So you should envy what other people get or have. But here's the truth. The reality for the child of God is three things. And the first one you'll notice is, number one, God's will is enough. Now, I mentioned this to the teenagers this morning in Sunday school quite a bit, but God's will is enough. Look at chapter 10, would you? It says in verse 1, chapter 10, Then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon Saul's head and kissed him. And said, is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? Can I ask you a question? Is that enough? Is that enough for this man? Matter of fact, isn't it always enough to be anointed by God to do whatever God has for you to do? Whatever his will is for you, to know that you've been anointed by God to do that will. David thought it was enough to be a shepherd. David thought it was enough to be a servant to the king. And you want to know why? Because it is. It is enough. It is enough to be equipped to do whatever God wants you to do. And whatever God's will is, he has equipped you for that. You're anointed enough. Wasn't the beauty and the perfection that Adam and Eve enjoyed in the garden enough? Wasn't every tree of the garden except for one, wasn't that enough? And the answer is yes. So why envy over the one? Why indeed? Why let Lucifer convince you or me that somehow God's will is, quote, unfair? Can I just say this, by the way? This modern notion of fairness, what's fair, and the modern idea of justice in our society might just be the most, most corrosive thing in our entire history as a country. It's going to doom our nation. It's not fair that certain people can't join the military. It's not fair that she has more than he does, or he has more than she does. 
It's not fair that women can't pastor. Do you know that 99.999% of all men can't pastor either, according to the Bible? Because they're not called. As for the military, it's not fair. I can't join the military because I'm too old. Whatever. <laughs> it's not fair. You know, I'm not allowed to play golf on the LPGA tour. It's not fair. Well, Pastor, you can play in the men's tour. No, I can't play in the men's tour. I can't break par on the men's tour. And that's not fair either. We always see these protesters in America. And they do the same chants. They've been doing them since I was a kid in the 60s. What do we want? Justice. When do we want it? Now. I'm thinking, you don't want justice now. Or the earth is going to open up and swallow you like the sons of Korah. Way back in, in my 20s, I came to this true realization as a sinner that the only thing I deserved was hellfire so that anything I got that was better than that was more than I deserved. And I preached a message on it in Beacon when I first came here. Well, right after that message, I, became, I was pastor here in 1987. I decided to introduce my family to the famous Jungle Queen down there in Fort Lauderdale. You know the riverboat? I mean, every Floridian has been to the Jungle Queen at, at least once, right? Is it still even? I don't think it's still there. It is? Somebody said yes. You were just there. Was it fun? Mrs. Manus? All right. So, you know, they say cruise down the Venice of America. That's a little exaggerated. Millionaire's Row, so you can go down and envy other people and what they live in. And Tropical Isle, that island that has those welfare monkeys. You've seen those welfare. It's like four generations of just lazy monkeys that they throw food to. 1987. The church had a staff car, an old, I don't remember what it was, Ford something. Remember that car, Brother Steve? It had a hole in the floorboard, and you're driving down the hot highway, and the, the heat from the motor and the highway just came up and just, whew, and you would sweat and sweat and sweat. So I'm taking my family down there, and we're motoring down I-95, and we're almost there, and the car broke down on this little overpass. And you know, it was hot. It was getting hotter. And I got out and I checked under the hood. I don't know why. I kicked the thing. I don't know why. <laughs> Trucks and cars flying by. Finally, a tow truck pulls in. Out of nowhere, just a tow truck pulls up. And those guys can smell a wounded car. Have you ever noticed that? And he asked me one question. Pulled over. One question. Not, how are you doing? Are you okay? How's your wife? How's the kids? One question. Do you have a credit card? Yeah, I have a credit card. Let's do this. He hissed us up. He said, I'll have to tell you south. It's about another 20 miles south or something like that. All of you can ride with me. I don't know if you guys even remember this. You were little. But we all piled into this tow truck, the front seat, all four of us. Not only are we going to miss out on the welfare monkeys now and, and looking at billionaires' houses, but my entire paycheck is going to go to this tow truck guy who was doing me a favor, he said. So I'm sitting there, and I'm sweating, and I'm pouting. The boys think that the tow truck is way cooler than my car. <laughs> Louise is quietly melting. And I'm grumbling. This is ridiculous. 
why didn't I take the Honda? Why, I can't believe this has happened. Well, I just wanted to have a good day off. Finally, Louise looks at me and she says, Jim, stop. It's better than hell, isn't it? I said, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. You don't use my sermons against me, amen. But actually, it was better than I deserve. I just want what's coming to me. Mm. I want what I deserve. Not really. I don't. The will of God for any Christian is enough. In fact, it's more than enough. If you're here and you're a believer tonight as a child of the living God, can I just remind you what you know? There is no reason for you to envy anybody or anything. You're in the will of God. And young people, I say what I said this morning, the world has nothing to offer you to be envious about. Because number one, the will of God is enough. You have enough. The second thing is that number two, the word of God is enough. Now, remember, remember we talked about Eve a moment ago. You may remember what Satan said. Yea, hath God said. Satan wanted Eve to embrace and believe this notion that there was something more for her out there than just what God has said. And he flat out told her that by only listening to the word of God, there's some spiritual knowledge that he has and she doesn't have. Yea, hath God said there's more. And the Bible says when she saw that it was a tree to make one wise, when she thought that there was more than God's word for her that he had already given her, envy crept in. And it creeps in with us. You know, Christians get in trouble when they say, give me some of that other stuff. Unbeliever, give me some of that Joseph Smith, some of that Ron Hubbard, Deepak Chopra, Dalai Lama, extra biblical stuff. Not me. When I hear these people talk about some guru's lecture, that all the rich and famous got to go and sit down, they paid $10,000 to just sit at their feet. And now he, quote, blew their minds. This man blew my mind. Or the hidden wisdom in some exclusive enclave, and they say, oh, that ayahuasca tea, you know, that that Aaron Rodgers drank, and it just opened up new horizons for him. You know, don't you want some of that? I don't want any of that. Right? We have this book. We have the Word of God. Peter said that in the Bible, we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. Christians are not missing out on anything because they don't go to the Bilderberg Conference or Sea Island Confab, if they still have that, or the Teleflora Tech meetings, or the Foundations Forum. The past of these great minds were there. And Tim Cook and Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. I don't care if it's Jimmy Buffett. Amen? I'm not sad that I, that I don't have that, that I should envy that. They're sad. They go there sad, they come out of there sad. And as long as they in, ignore God's word, which we have, the whole counsel of God, they're going to stay sad. You know, I remember when... when one of the physicians, when Louise was sick years ago, pulled me aside and he said, he said you know, when you, 
get a diagnosis like this out of nowhere. And you and your family are faced with it day after day after day. It changes your perspective, doesn't it? And you know what? I looked at him, and, and in kindness, I said, I said, no. I said, it hasn't changed my perspective. It's just reminded me of it. That's all. These kinds of things that come into life with Sherry and, and, and you in this room, it doesn't change a Christian's perspective. It just makes you more grateful for our perspective. It focuses it. Focuses it. So that, you know, the Word of God enlightens the heart of man, answers all the questions. It has revealed the future, opens our eyes. What are we to envy? The only thing, the only people who are missing out are those who do not have a lamp under their feet and a light under their path. And let me just add that for every believer in this room, this is our great duty and calling. We have the joy to take the lamp to them. And show them the truth, whether they want it or not. The light of the gospel of Christ. Envy? The will of God is enough. The will of God for you, in your pew, right now, with whatever talents or gifts you have or don't have, man, that's enough. The word of God is enough. Thirdly, I want you to consider the wonder of God is enough. Go back to chapter 18, would you? I've been reading this story for a long time, and I'm reading it and rereading it. And every time you read the Bible, you see and think about new things. And I was thinking about this. Verse 20 of chapter 18 says, And Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. So here's Saul. He has a daughter. And she's in love with David, young David. And then it says in verse 28, and Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. Wow. Can I ask you something? Let's say this is your family. These two families. Your daughter is in love with David. David loves your daughter. And, and is going to marry, does marry, his loyal, most loyal, his daughter that he loved mar marries the servant who's most loyal to him. She married the man after God's own heart and the future king. Talk about wonderful. You know, God's always wonderful. What he does for us, the way he does it. So why not just be grateful and glory in that wonder? Well, he would have had it not been for envy. Which is why there is this inexplicable and incredible fall from grace. Look at verse 28 again. And Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David. I mean, are you going to envy that or are you going to rejoice in that? And that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was yet the more afraid of David. And Saul became David's enemy continually. In other words, more and more and more envy. Then the princes of the Philistines went forth, and it came to pass that they went forth that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was much set by. And Saul spake to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David, his daughter's husband, his son-in-law. You know, Satan's relentless repetition of lies 
through this world system we're all a part of living in can eventually lead a believer to lose the wonder of how good you have it. Everything in our, every advertisement, everything in our society is geared to make you unhappy with your situation. Your teeth aren't white enough. Your hair isn't thick enough. Amen. You're not tall enough. Your clothes aren't nice enough. Your car isn't nice enough. This world system, in the case of Eve, the Bible says she saw, she coveted, and she took it. And Satan was part of all of it. By using envy, Satan still wants you to see and then to covet and then to reach out and take it. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, you realize, and you remember he called them carnal. He called them babes in Christ, and he said that one of the most childish things that they were doing was, quote, comparing themselves among themselves. Comparing themselves among themselves, they were not wise, which is a nice way of saying they were fools. Instead of looking at the eternal God and His eternal wonder, which we get to enjoy every day, they were childishly comparing and then envying and then coveting the fashion of this world, he said. And Paul said, don't you know you have all things? Remember this in Corinthians? You have all things. You know all things. Quote, all things are yours. And then he said, they're yours forever. What is there to envy? James said, where envying is. Now, how are you going to finish the sentence? Where envying is, there's troubles or problems. Where envying is, and maybe James, you know, James, the way he grew up, his life, he could, he could be susceptible to envy. Where envying is, there is every evil work. Every evil work. Now, we know how bad it is. I mean, we can go through the scriptures. We preach on envy many times. We could go through 1 Samuel, if you read every verse this week or tonight, you will see a man... Boom. Envy. The question is, do you understand the remedy, the truth? You don't need to. I don't need to. Because we have enough. God's will is enough. God's word is enough. God's wonder. The wonders that he's going to show you tomorrow, whatever it be, it's wonderful. You may not know or recognize. It's wonderful what God has done for us. It's enough. And God's people said, let's bow our heads. Shall we? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You know, it's so bad. What Lucifer did in heaven, the archangel of God, what he did by saying, you know, I will be as God, he wasn't content, jealous of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's so bad what Lucifer did. It's so bad what he led Eve to do in Adam. It's so horrible to see how it takes a man with so many gifts and abilities and literally destroys him in the prime of his life. It's so bad that when we see it rise up in our own hearts, when we see someone on Instagram or Facebook or just in a letter or a church or on a stage or wherever, and we see envy rise up in our hearts, 
We should run. Run to the Lord. Get on our knees. Recognize how good God is to you. That his, that his will for you is enough. If it's not God's will that you become wealthy or famous, then hallelujah. Because whatever his will is, it's enough. And the goodness he has, the wonders he gives us every day, it's enough. We don't have to be in a sunset in Maui taking selfies. No, it's a blessing if you get to go. But you don't have to have it. Because the wonders you have now, they're enough. Because those wonders go on forever in eternity in God's goodness. Pastor, I'm saved tonight, but I needed the message and the reminder, and God has spoken to my heart about something. With heads bowed and eyes closed, who would say that? Would you lift your hands where you are? Pray for me, Pastor. That's me. Amen and amen. And I raise mine. I raise it because that's how bad it is. It's deceitful and it's subtle. Maybe you're not saved tonight. Pastor Blalock, I'm not sure I'm saved, but would you pray for me that I could be sure? Is there someone like that tonight? Would you raise your hand? We'd love to pray for you, anyone at all. All right. We're going to pray in a moment and, of course, have a time of invitation. This is the altar. I encourage you to use it. You know, the Bible says in Romans, rejoice with them that rejoice, weep with them that weep. There's no room for envy there, is there? When someone's brokenhearted, then your, your heart is broken. When someone's rejoicing because they just won something or earned something or garnered something, um, we're supposed to rejoice with them. Rejoice with them. There's no room for envy in a Christian's heart. Father, bless the invitation now, and we commit it to your hands. We thank you mostly for your word, the truth of your word. How that it is truth that sets us free. We pray for our young people, Lord, in this society bombarded constantly, constantly with this poison of comparison and envy, jealousy, and covetousness. I pray, God, you will give them the tools, the strength to battle it and fight it, to be content with such things as they have and such things as they are, to grow in grace of your will for them. For all of us, Father, may we recognize how insidious and dangerous and destructive Envy is. And all the examples in your word of brothers, Adam, sons, Cain and Abel, and Jacob and Esau, and we can go through all of the word that you've given us. How many examples where envy destroys? May we seek your help. Purge it completely from our lives. Bless the invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.